Welcome to this edition of the IWI CFI Trainer.net podcast. Today, we're exploring a topic that many of us are aware of, but we don't talk enough about it. We know that leadership and many experts are talking a whole lot these days about cancer prevention. Fire investigators know, on an intellectual level, that they're exposed to many hazardous substances on the job as a result of the processes of pyrolysis and combustion, especially when synthetic fuels are involved. Research from at least as early as 1996, when ATF participated in a health hazard evaluation in cooperation with the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, or NIOSH, found that fire investigators were exposed to irritants that can cause acute illness as well as carcinogens that can have chronic long-term effects. Substances including formaldehyde, acetaldehyde, acetone, benzene, xylene, styrene, naphthalene, and compounds like those in cigarette smoke found to cause lung cancer were all present at fire scenes. Furthermore, a large 2014 NIOSH study of 30,000 firefighters over many years found excess cancer mortality among firefighters for all cancers particularly digestive, genitourinary, which includes kidney, bladder, and prostate, and I hope I'm saying that right, oral, respiratory, and mesothelioma. A 2013 study of white male ATF investigators who self-reported bladder cancer in response to a medical surveillance program found that the risk for bladder cancer is significantly elevated in fire investigators compared to those who do not investigate scenes post-fire. There are other studies contributing to the evidence that fire investigators are at higher risk of developing cancer due to occupational exposure to carcinogens. How we translate this known risk into action to prevent cancer is a tougher sell. Exposure to carcinogens over many years can result in cancer at a time in our lives when we want to be enjoying retirement, grandchildren, and travel. Or, in some cases, it can strike even earlier when we are young with families to raise and careers to build. Fire investigators shouldn't be sacrificing the future to make a living now. There are actions that fire investigators should be taking every day at the fire scene. That's what we're going to talk about now with our guest, Jeff Pauley. He's chairman for the IWI's Health and Safety Committee. He's also an IWI CFI and an investigator for EFI Global. Thanks for being with us today, Jeff. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. So what do we know about increased cancer risk associated with fire investigation as a profession? A lot of the information that we have has to be extrapolated from the research that's being done for firefighters. There's some uh, ancillary work in our field, but a lot of it is is done with the firefighters, and we have to benefit from that. But we are working towards doing some of our own research, and and, uh, I'd certainly like to, to talk some about that. But the the hazards that that we experience today are just fundamentally different from the hazards and fire scenes that were around 15, 20, 30 years ago. So we we have to have better awareness and better protection. Makes a lot of sense. I, uh, you know, and and I I guess we'll get into this in a little bit more depth as we go down the road, but materials that are out there, (laughs) when I was reading some of the compounds at the introduction to this piece, I was uh, having to go look things up so that I'd even know how to pronounce them. Uh, well, exactly, exactly. The, uh, the, the fire scene of today is certainly not the one of, of our uh, fathers, much less grandfathers. So, so let's talk about how the fire investigators are exposed to some of these new compounds and, and the old ones as well. Uh, sure. The chemicals 
that are present at today's fire scene, whether it's from household chemicals that are in the in the dwelling, chemicals used to pressure treat wood. One of the one of the big new ones these days is Teflon. We're learning more about how bad that stuff is. We find that not only in kitchen utensils, but in uh, a lot of commercial electrical wiring and components. Uh, so things just, and there's a long list of chemicals that are present in today's fire scene. Over 100 of them are known carcinogens, and there, there are new studies coming out regularly that are adding to that list. But it's just a very unsafe environment for today's fire investigator, post-fire. And, and whether you are there 20 minutes as a after the fire has been extinguished as a public fire investigator or a week after as a private fire investigator uh, or somewhere in between in, in that, that timeline, the hazards are real. They are present. They're generally broken down to gases and vapors and particulates. So how are fire investigators, and this might be a little bit redundant, but talk about how fire investigators are exposed to these compounds. And you talked about how, you know, it happens not only 20 minutes after, but two days after, longer. Exactly. So there's, as we said, there's there's the long list of fire-produced gases. The big ones that we know about are are carbon monoxide and, and carbon dioxide, hydrogen cyanide, things like that. But there are just all sorts of other gases and vapors that are present during and after uh, a, a fire, whether it's residential or commercial. Uh, just as an interesting aside, kitchen fires contain to, to just a small area of the kitchen often produce the highest gas readings just because of all the weird stuff that's in people's kitchens today from between the electronics and, and you know, we talked about the Teflon on, on cooking products and, and utensils and whatnot, and, and uh, there's, there's just a lot of stuff that's out there. So short time after your, the fire is extinguished, these, these gases are present. Typically, they dissipate over time given the amount of ventilation and, and a number of, of variables, but they do dissipate. The problem is, especially in bigger fires where you've got a lot of debris, the gas molecules can be down in the debris. So when the fire investigator goes in a day after, two, three days after, whatever, and starts digging, it's quite possible that, that these trapped vapors, gases, are being released into the atmosphere. You can't see them. You can't smell them. You don't know that they're there, but we well believe, based on other research, that they are present and, and are uh, creating a hazard. And this doesn't even begin to address the whole issue of, of particulates, which is a separate yet similar issue. Well, just to help me out, um, when I hear you talking about gases being trapped and then being kicked up, speak to that a little bit more, because I always think of particulate. Um, I always think of something floating up and around. And, and when you were talking, I was thinking, yeah, you know, ever since I started dealing with you guys, I got the exhaust fan in my kitchen fixed. So I'm wondering, <laughs> can you speak a little bit more about the gases versus the particulate? Well, sure. So we've, we've got this, this long list of fire-produced gases. We touched on the carbon monoxide, dioxide, 
hydrogen cyanide, things like that, um, sulfur dioxides, acrolines, ammonias, formaldehydes, benzene. I mean, there's just a whole list of these gases. As mentioned, many are known carcinogens, de- depending on, on concentration, etc. But this stuff is all released during the uh, process of the burning, the pyrolysis. And while many are lighter than air, uh, some may not be, but they can get down into and attach themselves to the fire debris. In a large fire, your debris pile field uh, can be large, it can be deep, and as part of the investigative process, when you are digging through this pile of debris, um, if there are gases trapped, and, and we believe there are, and, and there's some research that's getting ready to come about that's going to help with this, but uh, it's quite possible that, one, there are trapped gases down in the, the debris piles, and two, that when you dig, they are being released, and if you're not properly protected, uh, you are breathing this stuff, you are absorbing it through any unprotected skin, and this can have long-term health consequences for the fire investigators. So I want to get back to what you talked about with research uh, later on, but what should departments yeah. do, uh, you know, just so we get some of this information done right up front, what, what should departments do to reduce their exposure or the exposure of their personnel? One of the issues that we've got as fire investigators is that we are often, whether it's public or private, whether you're there right after or sometime thereafter, uh, we are at more fires than the average firefighter. And unfortunately, we are often, not always, less well protected. The Health and Safety Committee issued a white paper uh, this past summer and we have some, some handouts that go along with it that address the various personal protective equipment that fire investigators should be wearing. And I don't know how much detail you want to go into that, but you have to be covering your, yourself uh, to a great extent to limit absorption of these gases into your system. You know, after your lungs, the second largest organ in your body is your skin. And when you exert yourself and your body temperature goes up, the absorption rate increases. So it's important to to keep yourself covered up, uh, whether it's a Tyvek suit or clothing that you take off before you leave the fire scene, whatever. There are a number of, of solutions, but you have to be doing it. And then you have to be wearing proper respiratory protection to mitigate this stuff being breathed into your lungs. There are a number of of solutions out there for respiratory protection. Our research and and working with uh, the CDC and uh, folks at the, make sure I get this right, the National Personal Protection Technology Laboratory. I believe that's the correct word, (laughs) which is a NIOSH outfit in uh, Pittsburgh. The minimum acceptable respiratory protection for fire investigators is what's called a P100 OVAG filter. So that means if you are, uh, P100 essentially means it's it's HEPA, and P does not stand for for particulate, but 100% of 
particulates, which is the same thing as a HEPA filter, with OV, oily vapors, and acid gases. You can have more protections. That's wonderful, but that is the minimum. Uh, these folks that we see wearing an N95 essentially dust mask, that is not acceptable for what we're doing, and just those those things need to be put away. And uh, if you're not wearing a, a respirator that uh, is air purifying with with at least that type of filter, then things need to change. Yeah, and I think uh, we both know. I've been around for you know, 15, 20 years working around uh, your people, and, 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 and I shouldn't say your people, the people in fire <laughs> investigation and the fire service. And we all know that these changes uh, are not just a little rough to come by. They're very, very difficult. Uh, the Changing the culture in any organization, I think, one, has to be top-down, and two, really takes about five to seven years. Within the fire service, even that is probably an underestimate. It, we are just a, 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 a group that is very resistant to change. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. Uh, my philosophy has always been when we know better, we should be doing better. But <laughs> there are plenty of people who just don't ascribe to that yeah. philosophy, and, and that's what we're trying to change is, is the culture. And, you know, whether, whether you've been doing this a long time or a short time, you're an old person, a young person, it really doesn't matter. For the older folks who may have been exposing themselves to, to well, what I'll call bad practices but that we know now are bad practices, we didn't know it then, they, they have already done things to their body. But, hey, you know, what they can be doing is, one, helping themselves from this point forward, but, two, they're setting an example for the younger folks. So the younger folks are not exposed to the peer pressure of these old-slash-bad practices. That's a great point. For the younger fire investigators who are just getting into it or or been into it a short time, the amount of benefit that they are doing to their health and their, their future health and well-being is just amazing by adopting effective prevention practices. Makes a lot of sense, and that, that is a great point. I, I, two things I wanted to sort of make sure we remind folks of. One, the white paper that you discussed that the IWI Health and Safety uh, Committee put together is available, I think, up at fire, uh, firearson.com in the resource section. It is, yes. It, it's a little challenging to get to, but I've heard that the website's going to be worked on to, to make things a little more user-friendly. But uh, yes, there's a resource page or tab, whatever, and, and under that is health and safety, and then under that is, is the white paper. Uh, we have uh, some quick facts documents that go along with, with that uh, paper to highlight certain benefits. One, one is strictly on respirators, and one is just more overarching on all of the good things that we should be doing to protect ourselves. Okay. Thank you for that. I, and I, I, I was just looking through my notes here to find out. What we'll do is we'll post a link at the uh, end of the podcast. We've got several links here with resources that are available um, for yeah, both great. departments and personnel that they can use off, off of this site. But I will uh, make sure that there's a direct link. I think some of the work you're talking about on the Fire Arson site has been done. And, uh, well, I know personally because we're involved in it. Uh, that if, it's, if it's not... <laughs> I, 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 uh... Unfortunately, because I have my own copies of, of the, uh, the, the the documents, I don't 
spend as much time at the website as, as other people may. But it's it's very important that, as you say, the people know where they can go to get the material. And, and that uh, that white paper, 15 pages, I believe it is, just covers a lot of territory. And I equate it to 921. You know, that it's kind of the, the investigator's Bible, how to conduct an investigation. But it's, it's a guide. It's not a standard. The white paper is the same thing. It is a guide. It is the best way to do things most of the time. But it's the first ever document of its kind that outlines and prescribes specific actions and procedures to better protect fire investigators. Well it's said. good stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm real proud of the committee's work in getting that document out over a couple of year period. Well, they should be very grateful for the work that you've done. I know uh, I know there aren't big checks flowing in from that. This is a volunteer thing that you do. <laughs> <laughs> there are no checks flowing in, right. but whatever. Well, no, uh, I think you know. <laughs> the expertise that comes from a lot of the folks that are members or not members of the IWI, part of the overall network in fire investigation, I just always like to say to everybody, thanks. Because um, a lot of it has, you know, it affects us and, and what we do in production. If we don't have good content and good expertise, then the things that we create uh, don't become meaningful in the long term. Well, exactly. And, and one of the, the assets that, that our committee has is an advisory panel of subject matter experts in a number of related fields, uh, medical practitioners, medical researchers, CDC, NIOSH staff. I mean, it's just we can't do the work without these folks. And it, it's just been a wonderful partnership. And these folks just continue to step up and help us in, in so many ways. Well, that's great to hear. And it's good to have partners um, for all the same reasons, you know, trying to get resources and trying to get money and trying to get research. It's, it's, uh, it's also one of the challenges, getting good data. As you said, when we started, you know, just, just the fact that we have to sort of piggyback on what's going on with the fire service in general. Uh, changes or you know affects the the work that's being done. Exactly, which which would be a great segue into talking about some research. All right, let's do it. <laughs> Talk to me about some research. Tell us tell us what's going on out there. So um, a pending project that I am just tickled with, and, and we have what we're we're calling a handshake agreement. Uh, there's nothing formal yet, but we are working on that. But the ATF lab in Maryland is, uh, in January, going to be burning some uh, structures in their huge, beautiful facility uh, that are then going to sit for a few weeks in preparation, waiting for a training class that they're putting on in February. So one of the issues that we have as fire investigators is that there is zero research as to the persistence of these gases and vapors that we've been talking about and the particulates, which we've talked some about and, and may want to get some more in on that. But anyhow, there's, there's no solid research that talks about the persistence of these things in the post-fire environment. So what we're going to do is ATF's going to burn the, these uh, various structures. I know there's more than two or three, but I don't have firm information how many. But anyhow, then we're going to instrument them up, 
and take readings over periods of time uh, for days, week or more, one with them just static sitting there, but also uh, with people walking through the scene, which stirs things up, and then digging the scene, which we do as fire investigators, which stirs stuff up more and more, hmm. and get some data, some good data, on the persistence of, of these things in the post-fire environment. Never has this been done that, that we are aware of anywhere. Uh, so all of these studies are done in the, the fire environment, which is great for firefighters, but the stuff does persist, and our guys are going in not wearing SCBA and, and structural fire gear many times, right. most times, but much less well-protected. So this is going to give us some, some great information. It's great, uh, once again, to have partnerships. Um, right. You know, and perfect and example. Uh, we have known that this needs to be done. Uh, we've talked with some other folks who said, yeah, that's great. You know, you, you get some uh, grant money or whatever, and, and we'll consider helping you with it, which is a whole separate issue. But then in, in really just a chance conversation with somebody who works at the ATF lab, he and I were doing uh, training together uh, for the Florida chapter down in Tampa a couple of months ago, and we got to talking about this. And I said, look, you know, this is really a huge need. And he looked at me and he's like, we can probably do that. Yeah. <laughs> and it just went from there. So um, it, it's just a, an awesome thing. And, and uh, I just can't emphasize how, how good it is, one, to have their help and, and a good relationship with ATF. But stuff that just has, has never been done before that we need to do so that we know better. So we can take a lot of the assumptions and hypotheses that we currently have regarding the persistence of vapors. Particulates we, we know is a problem. Uh, whether you're there an hour or a month later, particulates are a problem. And, and you know, it's funny, I had a very senior fire investigator tell me one time here, not too long ago, that well, I just take my flashlight and I shine it through the scene, and if I don't see any particulates, I'm good, so I don't wear any protection. Well, the particulates you see are typically the ones that your body's system through the hairs in your nose and, and the whatever the things are down your throat and in, in the upper part of your lungs, and I'm not a medical person, I don't know the name of them, I know they're there. Your, your nat body's natural systems capture and reject these things. It's the little teeny 0 0.5, 0 0.3 micron pieces of stuff that you cannot see that get down into the bottom of your lungs and create problems for you 10, 20, 30 years down the road. So we know those are there all the time. So there's just really very, very, very few fire scenes where respiratory protection is not required. It's funny, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, where there's smoke, there's fire. And uh, when you take away that smoke, you know, does it remove <laughs> uh, the problems? Uh, does it remove the harm that you can do to yourself? And what I'm hearing is no. You know, so <laughs> that's the scary part about it. Uh, well, I it is. And, and this, is, this is one of the fundamental culture change issues that, that we're dealing with. You know, do vapors and gases dissipate over time? Yeah. Are they able to, to be stirred up? We think so. We believe so. We'll, we'll find out. But 
the universal point is that particulates are there and they are always there. And and just because you can't see them, smell them, touch them, feel them, doesn't mean they're not there and that you have to be protected. Yeah. One of the problems that we have with the younger fire investigators is getting them to understand that the actions today will help them 20, 30, 40 years down the road. It's kind of like retirement. You talk to a 20-something about <laughs> retirement and saving for retirement, and what and it's just a foreign topic to them because it's so far in the future. We're dealing with kind of sort of the same thing because the actions that they take today are going to have an effect on them down the road. We have acute issues, which happen right now. You know, I fall through the floor and I break my leg. That, that's an acute problem. And you go to the hospital and you get it fixed. But the chronic ones, those are the ones that it's just very challenging to get people to deal with because why should I do this today? The scene seems fine and I can't, I, my brain will not think 30 or 40 years down the road for me. And, and that, that's a challenge for us. But we're, we're working on it. Yeah, you know, when I was 20 years old, I don't think I was even thinking about breaking a leg or stepping through anything. Uh, you yeah, know, who cares? There's, there's in, <laughs> invincibility. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So just makes our challenge a little more uh, challenging. <laughs> I want to I wanna play a word game with you here uh, just to get through some points that I think are very important uh, before Absolutely. we close up. And uh, I, I'm just going to sort of drop something out and, and you give me a couple of sentences of what you think people should do so that we can leave with a message here. Sure. PPE. It's necessary 99% of the time. It's respiratory protection, it's eye protection, it's covering your unprotected skin, and you just got to bite the bullet and do it. Great answer. Food. (sighs) Food, nourishment, good thing when you're at an extended scene, but if you're not properly doffing your PPE and cleaning yourself before, you've got a problem because all these nice little particulates that you can't see and don't know are there are actually there and they're sloughing off of your PPE and your skin and getting in your food and you're ingesting it. Yeah. I, I, one of the notes I had was asked about, you know, eating and drinking at a fire scene. And I, <laughs> I can imagine when you're lonely out there in the middle of a fireplace, uh, fireplace, uh, a fire scene that, uh, you know, sometimes you're exhausted after digging, you unwrap a big hoagie or something and, uh, Sit down and, and I, you know, I think the point there was, is, hey, get yourself clear. I think you're donning and doffing point. That's, that's excellent. Yeah, it's, again, culture change. Yeah. Uh, similar, decontamination. Yeah, decon is huge, huge. And one of the big issues that we've got is you get these fire investigators that wear their standard work clothes, whatever that is, a uniform, jeans and a T-shirt, whatever. They go out, they work a scene, they don't wear any protective covering over this. Uh, They don't change their their shoes or boots out. So they they go through, work the scene, which means they're contaminated. Then they get back in their vehicle and they drive away, which now has contaminated the vehicle. They go home, they go to the office, whatever, and all of this contaminant is being spread all over the place, which then is affecting, to some level or another, other people. Uh, We talk extensively in the white paper about decontamination and the proper process for doing that at a scene 
as well as doffing your PPE, uh, where to store it, how to store it. And I'll just give you a hint here. In the passenger compartment of your vehicle, or a trunk if you're in a car, is not the right place unless it is properly sealed up. Yeah, and I, I my two next words were going to be disposable and laundering. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, I, exactly. So, you know, the more disposable stuff you can wear, you know, the, the Tyvek suits are awesome. I will tell you, in the south in the summer, they're hot as blazes. Yeah. But they're effective. You know, they've got to come off in a certain way. Gloves, same thing. But they need to be put into a, a trash bag, sealed up, not in the passenger compartment or the trunk of your vehicle, unless it is properly sealed up, and then properly disposed of. Um, and, yeah, we, we see the same thing with, with firefighters. They go and they, they do an interior attack. They get back in the cab of the truck, still wearing their structural turnout gear, and all of that stuff is contaminated. They are starting to take steps on their end to clean, do a gross decon before they leave, which is awesome. Or, gosh, stow the gear outside the passenger compartment. So they're doing the same things and talking about the same changes that we are. You know, as an industry, we just need to be doing better. So, Jeff, um, ventilation. So, generally speaking, ventilation is, is our friend. The more fresh air you get into a post-fire scene and the longer you get it, uh, the better it is for the gases and the vapors. Particulates, another story, they, depending on the scene, uh, it's hard not to have them, but there can be a couple of scenes where there aren't any or very minimal, but ventilation is not going to significantly change the post-fire environment when it comes to particulates. Okay. It will to gases and vapors. How about tools? So we, we use a lot of tools. Uh, I carry a lot of stuff with me because uh, I never know what I'm going to need. You know, the public guys can, can call for additional resources. Uh, on the private side, we, we are more challenged with that. But if you're not effectively cleaning your tools as part of the decon process, uh, you're going to have problems because, again, back to the particulates, those are going to be attached to your tools when you've been doing digging. And you, know, you, you throw them in your vehicle without cleaning them. Well, what's that doing? It's spreading the particulate matter around. Even if it's in the back of your pickup truck, it's still sitting there. And then you open up the truck again, and you're getting exposed to admittedly minute quantities. But the cumulative effect of all these little exposures becomes a big problem down the road. And so it's I better just to have good practices, clean your stuff before you doff your PPE and before you doff your respirator, not after, clean your tools, and then go through the proper doffing procedure for your PPE. Yeah, and I guess we can end up on these, end, end this list of things to do with uh, wash your hands and yourself, uh, you know? Yeah, no matter how protected you are, and, and uh, you know, you've seen the picture on the back of my uh, IWI business card that's all got everything on that you possibly can have, which there are times when that is all needed. You still have parts of your skin that are exposed. Wipes are great for cleaning yourself at the scene and then changing your 
clothes or getting out of whatever you've been wearing that that is contaminated so you're not spreading that is all wonderful. But when you get home or back to the office or whatever, one of the first things you need to be doing is taking a shower and, and cleaning all of yourself. Well, <laughs> I think I, I think you've uh, you've put it all together for us, I, and and I I really appreciate it. Is there anything else that you wanted to get out there as a message? Um, we've we've gotten pretty detailed, but I, I think uh, I, I just want to give you this opportunity. If there's anything you're looking to communicate, do so. Well, it, it no, we we have uh, very nicely covered stuff. As, as you understand, it's it's a subject that I'm very passionate about. I started down this field of health and safety because a mentor of mine who was a longtime fire investigator had a very quick like three-month period from diagnosis to death, cancer that we are all sure was, was fire investigation related. And uh, one of my big things, I said it before, I'm going to say it again, when we know better, we need to do better. And the more we can do to educate fire investigators on the proper ways to protect themselves, the better life they're going to have going forward. Jeff, thank you very much for your time. Again, Jeff is the chairman for the IWI Health and Safety Committee and an IWI CFI, as well as an investigator for EFI Global. Hope you have a nice holiday, and we appreciate your time, Jeff. Thank you very much. It was wonderful. For those of you who listened to last month's podcast, we did a news story about a, an amazing moment where there was a gender reveal party that uh, basically sparked off the sawmill fire in Arizona. If you go to Google and just uh, search gender reveal fire, you'll see the uh, actual fire and the explosion uh, that was caused by that party. And we all can certainly hope that these type of things don't happen in the future and that we're all a lot more careful about things that can trigger forest fires. We've got enough issues out there already. Hope you all keep safe out there. Hope you had a nice Thanksgiving holiday and look forward to the holidays coming up as well. For the International Association of Arson Investigators and CFITrainer.net, I'm Rod Ammon.